Welcome to the College Commons podcast and our acclaimed author series, a partnership between HUC Connect, the online learning platform of the Hebrew Union College, and the Jewish Book Council, featuring conversations with authors recognized by the National Jewish Book Awards. My name is Joshua Holo, your host. Welcome to this episode of the College Commons podcast and our interview with author Ashley Goldberg. Ashley Goldberg is a writer from Melbourne, Australia. His stories have appeared in New Australian Fiction 2021, Tyrone Review, and award-winning Australian writing, among others. His debut novel, Abomination, was published by Penguin Random House Australia in 2022 and won the debut fiction prize at the National Jewish Book Awards. Ashley, welcome to the College Commons podcast. Congratulations on your National Jewish Book Award, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Josh, and thanks for having me. Abomination, your first novel, describes the aftermath of a sexual abuse case in an Orthodox school years after the fact. And the story follows two characters who had attended the school during the period of abuse. Their names are Yonatan, who stayed in the Orthodox fold into adulthood, and Ezra, whose parents took him out of the Orthodox school immediately after the original scandal broke when they were still kids. Am I reading too much into it to hear echoes of Chaim Potok's The Chosen? And for what it's worth, I did notice that you gave a shout out to Philip Roth as well. Yeah, you're definitely not reading too much into it. There is a very strong influence there, obviously, with the two young men and their their two different parts, one more religious than the other. Not just The Chosen as well, The Promise was a, was a huge influence. And with um, Ezra's storyline and, and the, the more secular elements, there's some Roth there. I'm a big Roth fan. Other strong influences, Nathan Englander, Michael Cabon, uh, Isaac Besheva Singer, even, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of Jewish literature has, has led me to, to where I am, but certainly the strongest, most direct influence where the narrative came from, the two different perspectives was Chaim Patok's The Chosen. One of the themes that emerges early in the story is that of cover-up, of, of covering up the sexual abuse. And we know in the Western world, given all kinds of major, widely known issues that have come up, that communities often cover up crimes, even those perpetrated against the community itself. And presumably, those who cover up such things are are motivated by any number of things, by institutional interests, by shame, or by misplaced piety, perhaps. In Abomination, you raised the specter, additionally, of the specific fear of the Orthodox community. That is to say, the fear that a tiny countercultural minority with a history of victimization must not air its dirty laundry at all costs. What do you make of such motivations to cover up crimes? And, and more importantly, do these possible motives for cover up even matter? Unfortunately, these instances of which, you know, it's a fictional depiction within the book, but these were based upon a number of instances that have occurred here in Australia, and they're not limited uh, to the Jewish community and to the um, ultra-Orthodox communities here in Australia. I did a lot of research into the 2013 uh, Royal Commission that we had into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. It is something which is um, pervasive and, and recurrence, and uh, even more unfortunately, since the publication of the book and since the Royal Commission and its recommendations, there have been 
a number of instances from Jewish institutions that I'm personally familiar with as well. And I, I don't think it's a product necessarily of a religious community or a religious institution, even though that's where it's depicted in Abomination and what the Royal Commission focused on. I do think it is a product of the insular space. I do think it's a product of these small communities in, in which there are a number of individuals in power. And, you know, for time and time again throughout human history, we just seem to see individuals in those positions, whether or not it's because the position itself draws individuals like that, or whether or not it is innate to the to the kind of structure. But unfortunately, they abuse that power. And then it seems, as you said, there's a tendency to want to hold on to that by whatever means necessary. So I don't I don't think it's, you know, a particular reflection of necessarily ultra-Orthodox communities or religious communities at all. I do think it's a reflection of small communities with that kind of hierarchical power structure in, in which, yeah, certain individuals control too much. In 2021, Israel extradited a woman named Malka Leifer, a schoolteacher accused of sexual assault at an Australian Orthodox school, who had indeed fled to Israel, not unlike the antagonist in Abomination. It sounds like her case was among the cases that may have sparked some of your ideas. Was her case relevant to your bringing in the issue of Israel as a kind of complicating factor on the political scene in abomination. Yeah, it absolutely was. Malka Leifer's case is one of the many in which Rabbi Hirsch is an amalgamation of those individuals. But at the time of writing abomination, Malka Leifer hadn't even been extradited yet, but everything was available in terms of when she fled the country and the ongoing efforts of now that she's been charged, her victims, their efforts to get her extradited, including what was perceived to be certain political parties uh, in the Israeli government and their efforts to stop her extradition. So it absolutely influenced it in terms of what information was available to me when researching the book in, in 2018 or so. It was an interesting political twist to an otherwise deeply personal set of stories, which really were quite moving. And I'd like to focus on one scene in particular in which you describe the intimate moment of the wedding night between Yonatan, the protagonist who remained Orthodox, and his new bride, Rivka. You wrote the scene with a real dexterous combination of religious naivete and unabashed sensuality. Was there a message you were trying to convey in this scene, perhaps a presumptive stereotype you were hoping to fend off or correct, or were you simply illustrating the sometimes counterintuitive possibility of deep, sincere piety with frank sensuality? Yeah, I, I think it was a combination of both. There's certainly a playful focus on how naive both characters are in terms of their sexual education, which I do think, in accordance with the research I've done, does seem to be a, a product of certain limited ultra-Orthodox communities and their sexual education. I did buy a number of religious textbooks and read their um, advice and introductions in terms of the wedding night and how a bride and groom uh, should perform. So that was very educational. And yeah, in terms of the, the sensuality and, and the intimacy of their particular relationship, I do think that any two individuals in any context could have 
that kind of relationship. And I, I do think we see that with Tan and Rivka, that despite the fact that their marriage is a, is a product of it being arranged, they do have a loving relationship. I noticed that when you use culturally specific language to convey the flavor of Orthodox Jewish life, peppering the text with Yiddish and Hebrew religious terminology, you italicize those terms, effectively signaling them as foreign words. Was there a stylistic conversation that you had with your editor as to the choice to italicize these words? And do you think there's a different message if you don't italicize them? Yeah, there was a conversation. We made the decision to keep them italicized because there were so many. And in addition to that, we weren't providing a glossary. I have received a lot of emails from non-Jewish readers, even some Jewish readers, that they felt like a glossary would be helpful. But my publisher at the time did stress that they didn't want a glossary. I at the time didn't want one either. I felt that the terms were uh, understandable in the in the context of the book. But because there was such a significant response in terms of readers asking for a glossary, were we to go in a reprint, I'm not actually sure what decision I would make now. Yeah. Abomination takes place at the intersection of Orthodox and non-Orthodox communities in Australia, as we've discussed in the friendship of Yonatan and Ezra, who kind of straddle that boundary. And indeed, they sort of bounce off each other as foils across that intersection. I wonder where you personally fit in that nexus. Yeah, I was raised modern Orthodox. And then I went to a, a Jewish day school, you know, went to shul. My parents didn't have a Jewish education, so they really wanted myself and my brother to have one, particularly after they both experienced anti-Semitism growing up here in Melbourne. Well, my mom is originally from Argentina, but her father was a Holocaust survivor. They also experienced anti-Semitism there, and that's why they came to Australia. And I suppose I was raised with more Orthodox than Reform Judaism, being modern Orthodox, but, but not quite ultra-Orthodox in terms of uh, Yonatan's background. But then once I graduated from high school, reached university, I kind of left everything behind. And, and not long after I moved to Canberra and our capital and worked for our um, federal government. And then there are certainly not many Jewish people in Canberra at all. It's interesting growing up in Melbourne though, because we have this very unique blend of communities. The um, reform Judaism and modern Orthodox Judaism and ultra-Orthodox, it's just, everyone's kind of around one another. People seem to interact. There are smaller ultra-Orthodox communities that do keep to themselves more than some other ones that are here in Melbourne. But overall, there is a unique blending of individuals. The College Commons podcast belongs to HUC Connect, the online platform for continuing education from the Hebrew Union College. HUC Connect includes webinars, syllabi for community learning, and masterclasses for HUC alumni, with interviews, expert panels, and classroom materials on topics ranging from the arts to civil society, Israel, and much more. Check us out at huc.edu backslash hucconnect. Now, back to our interview. In the course of the story, you hit on many familiar and compelling themes of Jewish life. Just as some examples, you touch on parenthood, faith, hypocrisy, forgiveness, communal fidelity, marital fidelity, and navigating modernity in the non-Jewish world, 
And as we've spoken about even Israel and some of the politics of diaspora-Israel relations, I was moved most of all by your plumbing the depths of our internal contradictions in almost all of these dimensions. I wonder, has your readership appeared to resonate with one or two such themes in particular? Yeah, absolutely. They have from some individuals, actually, from from other individuals, there has been a little bit of blowback from some members of the Jewish community in terms of focusing on some of the negative aspects, particularly the instances of abuse, a bit of a conversation in terms of why I felt the need to highlight those instances. And I did feel very strongly the need to focus on them and, and highlight them so that they're recalled and so, so that you know we, we can prevent such things from from happening again. When I wrote the book, you know, in terms of the contradictions, I did feel that it was something I, I really wanted to focus on. And I was a little concerned when it was finished that it focused on them too greatly and that perhaps I had written an angry book. And I wasn't sure what kind of response I was going to receive from the community I was brought up in and, and the broader Jewish community as a whole. But some individuals, particularly Jewish readers, responded and said they found the book was quite loving in a way, which was so interesting to me because it wasn't something that I set out to do. And my own relationship with Judaism is certainly complicated. And I think I obviously, while writing the book, was expressing some of my relationship with Judaism, its, its contradictions, all of its complications, morality and the immorality and, and everything like that. And then I think I've also like learned more about my relationship with Judaism, or at least I'm still discovering my relationship with it since it's been written and with the response from readers, you know, when they say what I got most out of the book was the relationship between Rivka and Yonatan, there were people saying they felt like it was all about Ezra and his complicated relationship and what morals he had and, and why he had them. So yeah, it was just really interesting how I think when you write a book in general, it's one thing when you write it, and then once it's finished, uh, it becomes something else. For what it's worth, it didn't come across to me as angry. I think I read into it, or indeed it was already there, a lot of the loving quality. I can see that. It does sound like some responses from the Jewish community were a little bit of uh, life imitating art and regretting that you had aired some dirty laundry, even if it was fictitious. At any point, did you find yourself self-censoring out of fear that there would be blowback against your parents or family? I think uh, anything I, I did, I went back and put in. For instance, at the end there, with some of the details of abuse, you know, which is an amalgamation of some of the actual case reports, writing it, I was hesitant, but I thought it was important to include them. And while I am no longer a part of the community I was brought up in, my parents are still active and they haven't received any kind of negative impacts as a result of the book. So I'm glad for that. Would you be willing to weigh in on which theme is the one that most deeply resonated with you, perhaps after you were done writing and maybe surprised you because it necessarily wasn't what you set out to write about? Yeah, I think potentially it could be the idea of community as a whole, which is, you know, something I've thought a lot about. But as someone who at a young age decided to leave, you know, and subsequently when you're going out of your own at university into the world and forming connections with people is is difficult. I think any adult knows that. And, you know, as Jonathan says in, in the book, he has had this whole world right there presented to him. 
in terms of community and family and something he could connect to. Well, Ezra goes out on his own and, and struggles. And obviously you can't go back in time, but it's interesting to think about what life would be like having that community and, and embracing it now, you know, despite all of its foibles. Well, Ashley Goldberg, thank you very much for taking the time and for sharing this discussion with us about abomination. And congratulations again on your recognition. Thanks for having me, Josh. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the College Commons Podcast, available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And check out HUC Connect, compelling conversations at the forefront of Jewish learning. For more information about all that HUC Connect has to offer, visit huc.edu slash hucconnect.